0: chapter. Beginnings. One more hour, Mrs. Duquesne, said the stewardess. Anne Marie Duquesne glanced at her analog watch and slowly nodded. She closed her eyes and thought of her son, Sean. His urgent phone call requesting Anne Marie to be a sitter for a couple of weeks was unlike him. Normally, he wasn't a last-minute planner, and a two-week trip without his children wasn't something he'd normally plan off the cuff. Something was obviously going on he didn't want to discuss over the phone. Anne-Marie prayed there wasn't something wrong, it would hurt too much, so she planned to stay longer than expected to help out any way she can. Sean was a successful Harvard professor of archaeology and history, a father of two lovely children and a faithful husband, much like Anne-Marie's father, Sir Geoffrey Fairchild. Too much like her father, she thought. Her father died on an expedition trip when she was very young. Too young to handle the harsh reality of death, and too young to help her mother with the loss of her husband. As Anne-Marie made her head more comfortable on the airplane pillow, she felt uneasy about Sean in a way that reminded her of her father's death, a resurrected memory so old and cold. It made her shiver. It all began after the death of her father. She was the youngest of five surviving children, and, of course, death was new and very strange to her. It was difficult for her to believe that her father wasn't coming back. When she viewed his body, he looked as though he was just sleeping and at any moment would wake up, making everything all right again. Of course, he didn't. When the weight of the situation finally hit her, it was more than her pre-adolescent mind could take, or so her mother thought. A week or so after the funeral, the nightmares began, and Marie would wake up drenched in sweat and screaming uncontrollably about things in her dreams, tormenting her. Mrs. Fairchild first believed that the dreams were related to her husband's passing and in time would disappear, as Anne-Marie's pain over her father's death faded. Anne-Marie remembered waking up abruptly from a deep sleep, looking toward the bedroom door, and seeing a ghastly, semi-transparent person with two heads staring at her. The apparition didn't say a word nor move. In fear, she quickly covered her head with her sheets, shaking and terrified of what she just saw. Two slanted red eyes, suddenly appeared just outside the sheets. They were unnaturally bright and seemed to focus just on her. Anne-Marie then heard a distant high-pitched noise that quickly rose in volume and seemed to draw nearer with each passing second. Soon the noise was so loud and close that it echoed off the walls of her room, threatening to rupture her eardrums. Suddenly, her bed began to shake and what seemed to be a pitchfork was thrust at her sheets. Never penetrating but bending inward, The three daggers threatened to pierce Anne-Marie's makeshift barrier. Unable to scream, call her mother, or move, she lay there in a fearful, comatose position, enduring the torment for the longest minute in eternity. When it all mysteriously ceased, all she could do was shiver. Many times she remembered asking questions, why was this happening to me, am I crazy, are demons after me, and why can't anyone else see or hear what I'm going through? Her mother couldn't do much to make the nightmares go away she could only say it was a dream and couldn't hurt her Anne marie recalled some of the conversations she had with her mother mummy am i different Mrs. fairchild smiled at anne marie of course dear we're all special in our own way no two people are the same oh what's on your mind dear nothing mummy now now you tell your mummy what's wrong am i crazy Mrs. Fairchild stared at her baby girl, tears well up in her eyes. And Marie Fairchild, she said, while holding her daughter's shoulders. You are not crazy. We're all going through a rough time right now without Daddy. We have to be strong. We can make it through this together. She hugged her daughter tight, and for a short moment, they both found a little comfort in a household struggling to adjust to an uncertain future. But the nightmares continued. For such a young child, it was beginning to take its toll. Anne-Marie was on the verge of a breakdown. Each night, the only solace she found was in clutching her rag doll. For hours, she'd lie there with eyes opened, afraid to fall asleep. But, when sleep finally came, it was either a calm night or a night of pure terror. With all the attention she received from her mother, it was not surprising when her brothers and sisters started taunting her. Days filled with hate from her siblings and nights with terror were too much. Something had to change. Anne-Marie decided to fight. No longer did she try to scream out at night, but with clenched fists and a newly discovered determination, tried to fight. Realizing no one could help her, she decided not to talk to her mother about her nocturnal travails. In time, even her relationship with her brothers and sisters was restored. As a teenager, Anne-Marie's life normalized. She was a typical teenager full of ideas, hopes, and dreams and the occasional visit from her nighttime tormentors. Later, the entire family moved to Massachusetts and America. They lived in an upper-middle-class suburban neighborhood where their neighbors accepted them readily. Life was much better for Anne-Marie after she left England. The late-night problems disappeared, and for the first time in quite some time life seemed to return to normal. For the Fairchilds, leaving the setting that caused them so much pain, seemed to be the medicine they needed to move on. Anne-Marie had no problems making friends. Those relationships birthed the idea of her working at a summer camp. This was a shock to her mother, since the inheritance from Sir Fairchild's estate was more than enough to allow them to live comfortably two lifetimes over. However, she reluctantly agreed. The camp spanned nearly 20 acres just outside a little and practically unknown town in Massachusetts. There was a large open grass area in the center of the camp, and several log cabins at its periphery, which barely touched the wooded hills. The only significant structure was an old white plantation house near the entrance of the camp. Several days before the campers arrived, the counselors went through orientation. The very first night, all of the veteran counselors quickly picked out their rooms in the old plantation house, leaving Anne-Marie with the room nobody wanted. Having the largest bedroom in the house didn't bother Anne-Marie. She just figured her friends were being considerate, wanting her to feel comfortable on the first night. That night was anything but comfortable. She tossed and turned for hours before falling into an uneasy sleep. As she lay there, she heard a distant sound coming from the attic just above her that grew in intensity as it approached her bed. Anne Marie was frozen in place, not able to speak or move. The noise finally grew to a crescendo, then abruptly stopped with a resounding clap. Silence. Then hall hell broke loose. The bed shook violently as screaming voices flew from the wall directly above Anne-Marie's covered head. There was no end to the voices. Each different voice flew rapidly from the wall, scratching and clawing at Anne-Marie's blanket as it passed over her. The words being shouted at her were unintelligible, full of violence, hate, and anguish. She was being attacked and felt as though she was actually going to be harmed the invisible barrier that usually kept her from feeling the attacks was failing. With each spirits passing, the threat of pain was becoming a foreboding reality. She tried to scream out to anyone to help her, but her lips failed to move. In response to her efforts, the intensity of the attack increased, and this time she actually felt something making contact with her chest. At that very spot, her chest burned. This was real. This was no dream, she thought to herself she was going to experience a horrible painful death alone. God help me, she managed to mumble. I'm scared. No one can hear me. I'm all alone. I don't want to die. Please, God help me. The screaming jumped in intensity in response to her plea. Stopped, and then seemingly, against its will, was pulled back from where it came. The room was silent again. Anne-Marie lay there, shivering under her sheets, afraid to move, fearing that any wrong move would bring the hellish spirits back again. Don't be afraid. And Marie heard the words in her head, as though someone were speaking right in front of her. She moved, slowly lifting a small section of her sheet. Enough to peek one eye through. What she saw amazed her. She saw a gown of some kind radiating in white. She felt peace and comfort, but her mind couldn't understand it. So she pulled the sheet back down. Don't be afraid, I am with you. At those words, Anne-Marie stopped shivering and started breathing easily again, those words brought her peace of mind. She fell into a peaceful sleep, not once fearing the screams that had assailed her in the night. When the morning came, her friends asked how she slept. Anne-Marie said nothing of the screaming spirits or the answer to her prayer, but just confirmed that her night was peaceful. Her friends looked at her curiously. You mean you slept through the whole night? asked one counselor. She doesn't know, said another. No, what? Asked Anne-Marie. The first counselor was silent for a while before answering. A long time ago, this place was a house for the insane and mentally afflicted. The room you slept in last night was the room where the director used to sleep long time ago. Most of the crazy people used to sleep in the attic at night. Not much is known about what happened to the director. But what we do know is whenever any one of us sleeps in that room, We hear screaming voices all night, oh, said Anne-Marie. After that night, she made a decision to read the Bible more. God had answered her that night and she wanted to learn more about him. If he could make those voices go away and give her such peace, then he was just what she needed. Later, she started a Bible study with some of the other counselors, one of whom she later married, Russell Duquesne. Her mother didn't care for Anne-Marie's choice in a husband When she discovered his choice of profession, was that of a private investigator. She felt her daughter could have done better. However, Russell's business flourished, largely due to Anne Marie's inheritance, getting it off to a good start. But that didn't convince Mrs. Fairchild. Only years later, when she saw how solid their marriage was and how much they loved each other, did she relent. Happy her daughter had found happiness. Anne Marie awoke to the voice of the pilot over the intercom. The plane was making its final approach soon she'd see sean and all of those bad feelings would disappear wrong mr spencer said professor sean duquesne he wondered why he had these sessions sometimes the questions that popped up were really stupid ancient civilizations dr duquesne continued can't all fall into the same category Each one has its own particular qualities and diversities. You've categorized and linked them all under pyramid-based structures. But professor, how can we deny the various icons, idols, structures, and even buildings discovered all around the world that are similar in design? These cultures were thousands of miles away and even centuries apart. Yet there are undisputable similarities. What does archaeology say about that? The student, Albert Spencer, pleaded. Professor Duquesne slowly shook his head. He could admit that at times Albert's questions were good, but this time Sean had a feeling he wouldn't like where Albert was going. Mr. Spencer, this open session is for questions pertaining to the upcoming final exam, not speculation. Several of the Harvard graduate students agreed and nudged Albert to let it go. He was the brightest student in Duquesne's class, however his ingenuity at times caused the class to go off on such a tangent. That Duquesne had to rein them in quickly. I'm sorry, professor, I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on the subject. Mr. Spencer, I don't have any thoughts on this subject. However, if you have anything solid to contribute, maybe you could be so kind as to share it with the rest of us. Albert had walked this path before. He had to share his thoughts quickly before the professor moved on. Yes, I do. There's no way these civilizations could have interacted over both distance and time. The only logical answer would be a superior civilization guiding each one. Professor Duquesne looked out the window. It was a nice spring day. He could be spending time with both his daughter and son. However, the stale forced air in the room reminded him of where he really was. He didn't have to run this session, but he wanted to make sure his students truly grasped the material. Now he had to listen to one of his brightest students suggest that ancient civilizations were guided by some alien race. It was too much. The students knew Professor Duquesne all too well. He was a fair and overgenerous man. At times. However, Albert had just crossed the line and the classroom was too quiet in anticipation of their professor's response. Professor Duquesne stood up from his desk, arms behind his back, and walked slowly toward where Albert sat. Duquesne grabbed a free chair, turned it around, and sat looking at the student. Albert. A long pause. Albert. Duquesne shook his head. Have you been watching those science fiction documentaries again? The whole class erupted in laughter as Albert turned deep red. They had never seen the professor directly embarrass anyone this way before. After a while, Duquesne held up his hand. I'm sorry. I couldn't resist. But seriously, what did you expect me to think? aliens from outer space influencing our civilization. Albert shook his head and desperately tried to regain his composure before speaking. No, sir, that's not what I'm trying to say. I was suggesting an advanced human civilization able to influence the culture and development of various civilizations. Professor Duquesne rubbed his chin. An advanced civilization, he mumbled, and then cleared his throat. Well, Mr. Spencer, until we have more concrete evidence, I suggest we focus on what we definitely know. The professor stood up and walked back to his desk. Before sitting, he looked at Albert again. Who knows? Maybe one day you'll prove this and will look like unbelieving farts in the history books. Albert relaxed, the class laughed, and Duquesne continued with the session. He wasn't the type of man who would destroy genuine thinking that leaped out of the box from time to time. He just tried to guide it in a way that would possibly make the most impact however in this case with albert he truly doubted it after 30 minutes of q a the session was finally over duquesne gathered his things into his briefcase and started to leave the room excuse me professor duquesne said albert wait a minute professor duquesne slowly turned mr spencer you know what my office hours are i must really get to it'll only take one minute Professor, please, Albert pleaded. Duquesne watched the other students file out of the class, as he placed his briefcase back on the desk. You have exactly one minute. Ah, yes sir. Well, uh, haven't you ever wondered why no one found concrete evidence on the ancient civilization of Atlantis? What? Albert, I assure you, this flight of fantasy you're taking is going nowhere, fast. Wait, said Albert. I've done a little research on Atlantis, and came up with something very interesting. Research from where? Novels, hearsay, speculation, and interesting websites. You have absolutely no concrete evidence substantiating this ludicrous interest of yours. Dr. Duquesne picked up his briefcase. I suggest you concentrate on your tasks ahead of you. Fine, said Albert, but I've been contacted by several journals that would like to read my paper on the matter. If you change your mind, let me know." Albert turned and walked away from the stunned professor. Archaeological journals interested in mere speculation, he thought. If they're so desperate to fill their readers' minds with junk, then that's their problem, not mine. Sean Duquesne made his way to his car and tuned into the Friday afternoon traffic report. He wondered why his mother couldn't come on a Saturday, since the traffic to the airport was much lighter than. As he made his way off campus, he glanced at the clock. He had at least an hour before his mother's flight arrived, but that meant nothing. Most flights were late, and by time you got your luggage, it would be a good hour later. So he figured he had at least two hours. Making a quick stop at one of those trendy coffee chains, he bought a large French roast cup of coffee and a muffin for the ride. He played with the idea of advanced civilizations, secretly influencing the development of primitive cultures. And he also wondered if the Atlantis civilization did exist. Duquesne chuckled softly when he thought about Albert becoming one of those professors traveling all over the world, making documentaries on the great mysteries of mankind and making millions. He would make millions, contributing nothing to the advancement of understanding mankind's past, while Sean remained tenured and unknown. Anne-Marie waited patiently at baggage claims with a bag carrier, her multitude of bags carefully sitting on a sturdy cart. She was having a nice conversation with the man when she heard a familiar voice. Turning, she saw her son Sean waving at her. He was 30 minutes late due to traffic. Hey, mom. Sean, it's about time you got here. This fine man here took time off from making extra money to wait with me. I'm sure you'll compensate him well. The traffic was horrible. Aye, let's not make a scene in public, she interrupted. Once all of her bags were settled in the car, Sean took off her home $50 poorer. So, what's new? He asked his mother. Nothing much, dear. Just looking forward to spending a few quiet months with my son and his family. A few months. That explains all the bags. She was only supposed to visit for a few weeks, he thought. Ah, it's, um, always good to have you over, Mom. He said, not knowing what to say. Anne-Marie smiled. Tell me, Sean, how's Lisa and the kids? The kids continue to shock me every day in a good way, and me and Lisa are looking forward to the cruise next week," he answered. Yes. Mothers are always good for babysitting." Where are you and Lisa going again? Bermuda, Aruba, said Martin. Puerto Rico and Jamaica, he said. Really? What's wrong? Can't decide on one place to go. She tried making a joke to ease Sean's apprehension about answering her questions. She just wanted to make idle conversation but he was too careful in his answers. As his mother, she sensed he was hiding something. No, mom, we just don't want to be bogged down with one place. I see. And Marie was quiet for a while. And why aren't you taking the kids? They're old enough to keep out of your hair, right? After another long, awkward silence, Sean blurted, Lisa and I need some time together, alone. And Marie placed a hand on her son's shoulder. What's wrong, honey? Ugh, how he hated when she called him mad. All right, Mom, since you asked, Lisa's changed. How's that, Anne-Marie asked. Well, I, I don't know, it's really not a bad thing, but. What he was about to say was difficult to share. Sean, Anne-Marie nudged him softly. She's become religious on me, his mother smiled. Sean, you've been going to church your whole life. Mom. One day she started out visiting her friend's church, and then before you know it, she was going around saying she gave her heart to Jesus. Sean, what's wrong with that? You believe in God, don't you? Of course I do, but it's like she joined a cult or something. What Sean really wanted to say was he didn't want his wife to be like his mother. A charismatic Christian full of the Holy Ghost, living and breathing the Bible and dragging her children to church against their will. He didn't want to live through that again. Lisa Duquesne, Sean's wife, rolled her shoulder-length brown hair into a ponytail as she worked feverishly to make sure everything was picture-perfect for Mother Duquesne, the inspector of her son's wife, family, and home. Lisa's small frame dashed around the kitchen as she placed the final touches on dinner. She desperately wanted Anne-Marie to see that she was taking good care of both her son and grandchildren. Lisa never felt any negative feedback from Anne-Marie, but in a way, It was something most daughter-in-laws felt burdened to present. She wondered if Sean had spilled his guts to his mother about her deeper relationship with God. Lisa knew he hoped it was some kind of phase, but as time dragged on, she could see the displeasure in his eyes. Sean felt she was being unreasonable with her Jesus craze. As she prepared the dinner table, she thought of the many disagreements she had with Sean over the past weeks. It took all of her faith not to lose heart. For the first time in her life, she felt as though she finally knew who she was. Those things that used to bother her no longer seemed important. She knew a little about Anne Marie's church goings through Sean and wondered how she'd react to Lisa's newfound belief in Christ. Lisa prayed that Anne Marie would see the whole picture, not just Sean's point of view. Lisa heard a car pull into the driveway. She took a deep breath. Nicole, Bradley, Daddy and Grandma are here, she shouted. Lisa's 10-year-old son came racing down the stairs, followed slowly by her 14-year-old daughter, as the front door opened. "'Grandma! Grandma!' Brad shouted as he saw his grandmother enter the house. "'Hey, Grandma!' said Nicole, arms folded across her chest." Lisa felt a small wave of apprehension as Anne-Marie embraced her grandchildren. When Sean entered, he smiled at the kids and then greeted his wife with a kiss on the cheek. When the kids finally gave way, Lisa walked up to her mother-in-law and gave her a warm hug and a kiss. It's been way too long, said Lisa. And Marie stared deep into Lisa's eyes and didn't see anything evil or cultish. Only a devoted, loving wife. But there was also something more, something that wasn't there before. Lisa, she managed to say, you're as beautiful as ever. We must catch up on lost time. And my, did the kids grow. Once Sean had brought in the bags, the kids settled down, and the bountiful dinner consumed with great enthusiasm. Grandma Duquesne sat down with the kids to find out how they were doing. Nicole, being the oldest, was always the most verbal. She talked about how well she was doing in school, how her girls' basketball team was doing better this year, and how the boys continued to be immature jerks, always aggravating her last nerve. Nicole even put in her two cents on how Brad got in trouble with the principal. When one day he flooded the boys' bathroom and one of the classes when he put too much toilet paper in a toilet, it wasn't my fault, shouted Brad, I didn't do it on purpose. Nicole then talked about how mommy had started going to a different church. Before Nicole continued, she made sure her parents were still in the kitchen. She told Anne-Marie that her father wasn't happy and how he said mommy was splitting up the family. So what happened? asked Anne Well, Mommy asked us if we would like to visit the church she goes to, answered Nicole. I like it. Brad jumped in. It's not boring like our old church. Everybody's happy and very nice. Like, I was going to say the same thing, Bradley, said Nicole. Anyway, Grandma, they actually read the Bible and live by it. They don't act like they know the Bible and do whatever they want afterwards, like our old church did. Your old church, said Anne-Marie. Brad and Nicole looked at each other. Yeah, said Brad. We stopped going there a long time ago. While in the kitchen. Lisa asked Sean how his session went today. Trying to make small talk. Okay, I guess. One of my students may have an opportunity to have one of his hypotheses printed in a major magazine. Sean said in between sipping a glass of wine. Well, that's great. That must make you very proud. Sean stared at her as he gulped down the last of the wine. Lisa. The boy believes ancient civilizations were inspired by an unknown mysterious, ancient and advanced civilization. He mentioned the word Atlantis. What? You can't be serious. Didn't he learn anything from your class? I guess not. He poured another glass. Have you given our trip much consideration? He said, changing the subject. Dear, I've never stopped thinking about it. We definitely need these two weeks to ourselves. Lisa placed her arms around Sean's neck and stared into his eyes. The love was still there, but she could see his confusion. Yeah, right, right, I know. Sean removed her arms from around him. Let's get mom settled in before the kids tire her out. As Sean walked toward the family room, Lisa closed her eyes and shook her head. Saturday started off without a hitch, but Sunday was altogether different. A simple breakfast became strained when Sean refused to go to church with Lisa and the kids. Embarrassed that Lisa had asked him in front of his mother, he decided not to even go to his regular church. Anne-Marie stayed behind a reason with Sean but immediately doubted that decision. When they departed, Anne-Marie saw both the hurt in Lisa's eyes and the kids' confusion. Maybe she should have gone with them. Sean, what's your problem? She asked. Excuse me. Sean looked up from the business section of the Sunday newspaper. The sudden intrusion of his mother's voice took him by surprise. Have you ever gone to this church? She asked. Mom, I really don't want to. Lisa and the kids seem to be doing well going to this church. It can't be as bad as you think. And Marie interrupted. Sean looked at the newspaper again. I don't need to go. I already heard all about those ridiculous fanatic beliefs. Why should I submit myself to that? He took a sip of coffee from his mug. I see, said Anne-Marie. Sean dropped the paper on the table. All right, fine. Let's just get it all out in the open. I have a pretty good idea how it's going to end up anyway. But you take that tone of voice with me, young man. I'm so your mother and I don't have to listen to you. Tell me that. Okay, okay, mom, I'm sorry. I'm really uptight over this. That's why I called you here to take care of the kids for two weeks. Tell me something I don't know. She said, you're the only uptight person in this house. You didn't hear what I heard about this church, he said. They brainwash people only to give them their hard-earned money, and, Sean, did you ever visit this church? You're not listening. I already know what they're all about. It's like when I was a kid growing up all over again. So that's it. What? Said Sean, utterly confused. You've made up your mind without truly getting any first-hand information," Anne-Marie said, coolly. Is that how tenured professors practice their trade now? Sean thought about picking up the newspaper again, but instead answered his mother. "'I have first-hand information from people who went to that church. I grew up around this stuff and know what it's like. I'm a grown man now, and I know what's best for me.'" Son, Anne-Marie interrupted. "'I raise you to have an open mind about many things. I would have never thought you'd be so closed-minded about this." Sean desperately tried to calm himself, shouting, and his mother wouldn't help her understand. Mom, if Lisa wants to go to this church, fine, but she dragged the kids into it. I'm not going to sit back and watch them get messed up. They seem pretty fine to me. You're the one who looks messed up, she quickly responded. That's it, thought Sean as he stood up. You know, these two weeks with Lisa will either make or break this marriage he said, I don't expect you to fully understand, but Lisa has to make a choice between either this marriage or her church. Because, to tell you the truth, I just can't stand it anymore. You forced me to grow up with this charismatic mumbo-jumbo, and I'm not going to let it mess up my kids. Sean stormed out the house and took the car for a drive to cool off while his mother sat in the house wondering how her son had got so twisted up inside. Monday morning, day of the final exam, and due date for the class term paper. Sean sat at his desk, periodically checking the students to be sure they were concentrating on their own tests. He checked off the names of each student who turned in papers in his laptop's database and chuckled internally as he typed in the rather verbose titles. To his surprise, Albert Spencer had turned in a paper from one of the four categories from a syllabus sean had expected some convoluted paper desperately trying to tie together historical facts to albert's advanced civilization theory sean was pleased albert wasn't foolish enough to jeopardize his final grade if his term paper and final exam were anything like his previous work he'd definitely get an a after an hour there were only a few students left sean glanced at his watch only 30 minutes remained to finish the exam to his surprise albert was still working on his exam he was usually the first to finish sean stood up and stretched there's exactly 30 minutes left to finish your exams he said too loudly startling some of the remaining students the students left were those having problems with the course and would probably end up receiving either a c or d it really wasn't a hard exam if you knew the work albert's presence confused sean with five minutes left there were only two students remaining Albert and the one student struggling to pull his grade up to a D. You have five minutes left. Please wrap it up. Double-check your answers and turn in your exams, said Sean. The D student let out a long sigh of defeat and sadly turned in his exam. When Albert was the only student left, he handed his exam to Sean. Thank you, Albert, said Sean. I hope the exam wasn't too hard. No, professor. You were very fair. I just waited so I could thank you for tolerating my wandering thoughts at times. I really did learn a lot from your class and wanted to thank you for everything, he said. Thank you, said Sean. When Albert did not leave, Sean said, have a good summer and good luck on your journal article. Sean proceeded to shut down his laptop and place the exams in his briefcase. Professor Duquesne, said Albert. Sean took a deep breath. Just leave well enough alone boy he thought but ended up saying yes professor duquesne i'm not very good with apologizing so i sent you an email fully apologizing for my actions i'm sorry said albert thank you said sean hiding his surprise i appreciate your humility have a good summer you too professor albert turned and left the room finally sean thought Sean spent the rest of the day reading the term papers and finalizing the final grades. At four in the afternoon, he was finished. He entered the final grades into his laptop, sent an email to the office, and dropped off the hard copy on his way to the car. As expected, Albert got an A. When Sean got home, Brad was taking his turn on the television watching one of his favorite Nickelodeon shows, and Marie was in the kitchen putting final touches on dinner. Where's Lisa, Mom? Asked Sean without turning, Anne-Marie's way of giving him the cold shoulder. She answered, out getting some things for your vacation. Okay. Sean wasn't about to take the bait. He went upstairs to his room and was about to start packing his clothes when he saw his suitcases already packed in a corner. He performed a brief inspection and found everything he'd need for the trip. Lisa had obviously done a perfect job of packing. She's trying to get on my good side, he mumbled as he placed the suitcases back sat down at his desk, and began writing a list of things to do for his mother while he and Lisa were gone. One hour later, Lisa walked into the bedroom, struggling with several bags. I'm sorry. Guess I lost track of time, she said. Here, let me help you with those. We have a very busy day tomorrow. You know, we have to get to the airport very early. Lisa placed the bags down, walked over to her husband, and put her arms around him. Sean, you know I love you deeply. She stared deep into his eyes and was relieved to see the love still there. I need to know what you're thinking. You really haven't opened up to me in days. Sean removed her arms and sat on the bed. I'm tired, Lisa, and we have a full two weeks to talk about everything. Let's wait till then, okay. For the first time in a long while, Lisa got irritated. Sean, what difference does it make? Why can't we talk under our own roof? why'd we have to go away to talk? Sean stood up and shook his head. Not now. We need to get away from the kids and my mother. We need to focus on just us. He mean you want to get me away from my church and friends, thinking that you can distance me from that which you don't want to understand. Sean took a deep breath, shook his head, and left the room. As he walked into the living room, deep down inside he knew she was right. The next day at the airport, The kids expressed both sadness and excitement to see their parents leave. It meant two weeks of greater freedom and outside activities with Grandma. Now don't worry, Lisa, said Anne-Marie. I've been a mother much longer than you. These little ones are in good hands. I got both you and Sean's lists, and from the two, I'll figure it all out somehow. Lisa glanced at Sean. He was at the check-in desk, talking to the receptionist. I didn't know Sean left you a list. He hardly ever does that. Anne-Marie placed her hand on her daughter-in-law's arm. It makes him feel better, I guess. Anne-Marie paused. Don't worry, I won't make any changes to anything the kids have been recently doing, she said. Lisa was confused. You mean? Anne-Marie held up a finger. What's not discussed can't be said if asked. Understand. The announcement came for their boarding. Brad and Nicole embraced their parents with barely suppressed enthusiasm and watched them leave. As the plane sped toward the heavens, yearning to obtain its desired altitude, the seatbelt warning like disappeared. Lisa inched closer to Sean, hoping to strike up a conversation and break the awkward silence between them. However, Sean acquired his phone and glanced at the previously downloaded emails. He scrolled down each message until he saw one from Albert Spencer. For a while, Sean flirted with deleting it but then decided to see what the boy had to say. Dear Professor Duquesne, recently it has been very difficult for me to refrain from the excitement I usually feel when I'm in your class. Yeah, right. Sean mumbled and briefly glanced at Lisa. She was totally absorbed in a magazine ignoring him. Sean continued reading. Ever since last year I've been puzzled by several obvious facts that's been ignored by many. I was surprised that it eluded even the best minds in our field. Your field. Albert? Albert? the field of science fiction, he mumbled again. Did you say something? asked Lisa. She looked at him expectantly, hoping that some dialogue would develop between them. No, just reading an email from one of my students. Sean looked at his phone again, ignoring his wife. Professor Duquesne. Sean continued reading to himself. I tried to explain to you what I discovered, but whenever I opened my mouth, only idiotic words would come out. Now, you're making sense, Sean mumbled. Therefore, I sent an email to your address at school. I attached a file containing all information I collected and the paper I wrote. I know you consider this utter nonsense, but I implore you to at least read it through and then make your decision. I hope you have a good summer and I'm looking forward to seeing you for the fall semester. Sincerely, Albert Spencer. Sean rubbed his chin, then shrugged. He checked his phone reception, the signal barely detectable. He'd have to wait until they were on the ground before accessing the file from the university. Back at the airport, Anne-Marie failed to see the dark blue sedan with heavily tinted windows mimicking her every turn. The kids' excitement distracted her from seeing the car as her mind was focused on getting to a diner for breakfast. Afterwards, they would go to the mall to catch a movie. Anne-Marie beamed as Nicole and Brad told her they wished their parents would go on vacation more often. Several hours later, Sean and Lisa were unpacking their clothes in their cabin aboard the cruise ship. It had been a very unnerving trip for Lisa, who had tried desperately to draw her husband into any type of discussion. Every time she tried, she felt Sean's resistance and avoidance. She backed off, feeling defeated, and waited for him to dictate the mode of their interaction. Once unpacked and relaxed, there weren't any distractions preventing them from talking. However, sean decided to go for a short walk around the ship to get further acquainted with his surroundings alone lisa looked at her husband and pleaded it would be nice if i could come with you no i need to clear my head he responded i promise we'll spend time together soon sean left the cabin without another word a few minutes later there was a knock on the cabin door maybe sean changed his mind thought lisa when she quickly opened the door she saw a young couple smiling from ear to ear. Lisa was disappointed it wasn't Sean, but tried not to be rude. The couple looked to be in their early twenties. The woman wore tight blue jeans, a blue striped button-down shirt, and a smile that could warm the coldest heart. Her light olive complexion contrasted with her companion's pale skin, who was similarly dressed. He stood a good two feet above her. He held out his hand to greet Lisa, but was interrupted by the woman. Hi. I hope we didn't disturb you," said the woman talking quickly. We're the Beckmans from next door. I'm Catherine, and this is my husband Cal. We just wanted to introduce ourselves, and well you know, wondered if you and your husband would like to get together sometime, like for dinner, or something like that. Hi, Cal managed to say after his wife's long introduction. Well, that sounds like a good idea, but let me check with my husband first, I'm sorry. My name is Lisa Duquesne and my husband's Sean. Oh, we're sorry Lisa, said Catherine trying to peek around the door. I hope we didn't disturb your husband. Is he sleeping? Lisa shook her head and then opened the door wider. No. Sean went for a walk around the ship. Two blank stares from Catherine and Cal caught Lisa off guard. Catherine broke the awkward silence. Well, we're in room 243 if you want to have dinner tonight. Give us a call. Thank you. Lisa said. And with that, the Beckmans quickly walked away. Why do we always have to see one of your mushy movies? Why can't we see something with more action in it? Brad pleaded with Nicole. And Marie waited patiently for her grandchildren to realize they couldn't find a movie they both agreed on. Soon she'd make the decision for them and take them to something they both wouldn't want to see. Grandmothers should never give only one grandchild what they wanted, she thought. Now, where did I see that man before? She caught a glimpse of a man dressed in black looking at the movie listings. She could have sworn that he glanced in their direction several times, but that didn't have to mean anything. That's because last time we went to the movies, we saw one of your testosterone-built action heroes defeating evil forces and saving the world. Again, and this time it's my turn, Nicole shouted. The diner, Bonnie Marie, I know I saw him at the diner. Well, that doesn't mean anything either. He could have just been eating a meal before catching a movie, too. Hey, said Brad, excited. Maybe grandma will let us watch separate movies. Nicole tilted her head. Not a bad idea, she responded. And Marie hearing the kids turned. So did we make up our minds? Well, said Nicole, Brad and I can't agree on a movie, so we thought like it may be a good idea to see two different movies. Anne-Marie tried to look confused. You mean you two want to see another movie after this one? I don't think we have that much time to. No, Brad interrupted. Nicole sees her movie, and I see mine. Oh, said Anne-Marie. Well, no, since you two can't decide on a movie, I'll just pick one. That's not fair. It's my turn to see my movie. Nicole whined. Sorry. I don't know what arrangements you made with your parents about movie watching, but since they're not here, we're doing things my way. And Marie glanced toward the man in black again, but he was no longer there. She shook her head, upset that she was paranoid over nothing. Now, let's find a nice wholesome movie to watch, she said, looking at the movie list. Ugh. Way to go. Nick. Said Brad, nudging his sister. Shut up. You little turd.